morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, how many of us here this morning are still in a turkey coma? A few of us, Thanksgiving meal. How many of you ate too much? Oh, come on. Y'all are lying. All right. I know I did. I had a great time, other than the University of Texas killing my Red Raiders. Y'all need to repent. Y'all need to repent. It was a, it was, every, everything was great for Thanksgiving until Friday. Yeah, that was rough. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're beginning a new series, um, an Advent series. Uh, before, as you're turning there, I want to remind you of next Sunday. A very important day in the life of our church of Celebration Sunday as we reveal and talk about um, from our starting point of our All In One Heart initiative. Uh, we're going to celebrate all that God has done in and through us as a church. Um, it's going to be a wonderful morning. Please come. Please be here. It's going to be a great, great day of celebration. If you haven't turned in your commitment card yet, maybe you've been out of town or you were ill or unable to be here on Commitment Sunday, I want to invite you in the foyer right outside. Uh, there's these commitment cards that you can grab. We want everybody to be a part. You can turn that in um, in any of the offering boxes in here or around the building, um, and we'll make sure that that's included in our Celebration Sunday this next week. So please come. It's going to be a great, great day of celebration. Um, there's going to be exciting things that we're ready to reveal and share with you of what God has done. So this series, this Advent series, Advent is um, a word that we use and it means a, um, a coming to a place, a coming to view, coming into being. It most often refers to uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, a celebration of our Savior Jesus Christ and His birth. And this, these next four weeks, I want to I encourage you to really press in. I, I, think, I think for some of us who've kind of gone through Advent series before, I know me, I can be this way, um, I think there's times where we come to familiar passages, maybe like Isaiah 9, that we're going to be in here in just a moment, and, and we can become almost like, yeah, I know this. I, I see this. I understand this. I've got this. Um, and so I want to encourage you for the this journey over the next few weeks to really press in and to engage in the person of Jesus Christ. As we enter into this season, we've set aside to celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know of anything better to do than to just see Jesus as better. I was thinking about um, um, in 1999, go way back with me, okay? Um, I was trying to finish up college. It took longer than I expected. Um, but I'm finishing up college, and I've got this great, great girlfriend. Um, and I'm beginning to think, man, we need to get married. We've talked about marriage and all that stuff. Um, just to fast forward, we did. She's sitting right over there. Um, and I, I was sitting there. We talked about it. We'd gone to the jewelry store. We had, we'd talked about some different things, what she would like, what she wouldn't like. Um, I was sitting there, and I had already gone to her father, who is also sitting in this building right now, and I'd said, hey, Christy and I are talking about marriage. We've been dating for quite a while. Um, before we move any further, I need to ask for your permission. Um, he, he granted that, uh, to which I'm grateful. So then I'm like, I'm trying to find that perfect diamond, right? I mean, I, I am looking for that perfect diamond. I have no clue about diamonds, right? I don't even know how much they cost, but I'm going I'm to try to buy one. 
So I start going to a jeweler in my church and that I was working at, and I start going to jewelry stores. And, and as I was thinking about Advent, and as I was thinking about getting a view of Jesus, I was reminded of me in that jewelry store, grabbing different diamonds and different cuts. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at them, and I hold them up to the light, right? And I turn them, and I get real close. I use some of the tools that the jeweler has to look at it and to look at all the beauty of that diamond all the nice, great things about the diamond. And that's really what this series is all about. It's really about us looking at Jesus and holding him up and viewing him, maybe for some of you, totally different than you've seen him before. But for others of you, just to see Jesus again. And he's good and he's perfect and he's better than everything else. That's what this series is all about. We want to see Jesus Christ better. And so this morning, I want to warn you, we're going to be in a lot of different passages. We're going to be flipping a lot. So hold your place in Isaiah. We're going to be moving to the Gospels. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture because this passage here this morning is a prophecy, as you know. And so what I want to do for you, this might be for some of you the first time. It might be for others of you. You've done this before on your own walk or your own journey or heard a sermon like this. But we're going we're gonna to look at the prophecy, but we're going to look at how it's fulfilled. And the reason for that is there's no reason for us to walk out of here not knowing that this is about Jesus and the gospel. That's what we're looking at. So let's jump in, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a great passage of scripture you've probably read or you're familiar with. But I want us to focus as we jump into Isaiah 9, before we really get into a lot of the points of the sermon, I think it's important for us to look at this passage with two angles. The first angle is historically, the second angle is prophetically. Both of those help us understand the context of, of what we're looking at so we don't really miss what the scripture's really saying. The first angle is historically. Historically, here's what's happening. This is when the Assyrians, who are an incredibly strong powerhouse, they're coming against the nations around them. You have the smaller nation of Syria, the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as Ephraim. 
they're forming this coalition together to try to stand up against, to try to keep um, the, against this oncoming assault of the Assyrians. They're not going to be able to do that. They will not accomplish this. And I want you to think about this. This is, at this point in history for them, this is a, a hopeless situation. This is a, a strong moment in their history where they are struggling. There's a lot going on here. If you glance back in chapter 8, you look at all of these things and the coming Assyrian invasion, and you'll see these descriptions. In verse 4, it says, The wealth of Damascus and Syria and the spoil of Samaria and the northern king of Israel, it will be carried away by the king of Syria. Verse 7, God is going to bring against them a mighty river, and it says it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. I mean, this is overwhelming situation. It's flooding them. Verse 9 says the people will be broken and shattered. Verse 21, they'll be greatly distressed and hungry. They'll become so hungry that they're going to not have anything to eat and they're going to become enraged and they're going to turn their faces away from God. This brings a whole new definition to hangry. I mean, they're that distressed and that hungry that they become angry from, uh, uh, to God. They turn their face from him. Verse 22, you get all these descriptions. Distress and darkness, gloom, anguish. Isaiah even writes, thick darkness. And so this is what we see in this historically where we're at in this moment of time. A hopeless, hard situation. Now, prophetically, it's important to see this prophecy and the prophetic standpoint, this is all about Jesus. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the outset, we know that this references what we're familiar with of the Christmas story. We know that from Matthew and Luke is exactly what the angels say to the shepherds. This is going to happen. This is what the angel says to Mary. Hey, this is going to take place, right? We're, we're familiar with that. We can't look at the gospel accounts and not see these similarities. But I want to show you Another one that maybe we might not be as familiar with, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4. Hold your, hold your spot there in Isaiah 9 and turn to Matthew 4. In Matthew 3, as you're turning to Matthew 4, in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized. It's kind of the inauguration of his ministry. So we're now numbers of years after his birth. Okay, so remember... Think about Isaiah 9. We're now years after his birth. You come to chapter 4. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. Then you get to verse 12, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and look at the scriptures. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he, Jesus, withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah will be fulfilled. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he straight up says, this is happening. This took place in order to fulfill what Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, prophesied about. Verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Does this sound familiar? The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. 
and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, and them a light has dawned. From this time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew cites this passage. He cites the prophet Isaiah that we're looking at this morning, and he says that the This is fulfilled. This prophecy that we're looking at is fulfilled in Jesus' birth, in his life, in his ministry, and in his gospel proclamation. So this morning, as we hold up the diamond, when we come to Isaiah 9, and that's why I wanted to start here, when we come to this passage in Isaiah 9, let it be very clear. We're talking about Jesus and the glory of the gospel. This is about Jesus. Whatever God says here, it's credible. I want you to look back, Isaiah 9, verse 7, where we finished reading this morning. The end of verse 7, look at what Isaiah says. The zeal of the Lord of hosts might make this happen. No. He will do this. This is like highlight it, bold it, italicize, underline, star it, put it in brackets, whatever you want to do. What God is saying here is, Israel, I know that you're in this hard situation. I know that this is tough. I know you're in this hopeless situation, but hope is coming, and I will accomplish it. Take it to the bank. Build your life upon this hope. Even in the struggle, build your life on this hope. There's hope coming. And so that's what I want to focus on now that we're done with the introduction. The hope of Christmas, the hope of this child, Isaiah chapter 9. The first thing I want you to see is that Christ's coming brings light into darkness, brings light into darkness. Now you see that Isaiah 9 here is this transition from chapter 7 and 8. We looked at that a little bit. You glance back and right above this, they will look to the earth and there's going to be distress and darkness and gloom and thick darkness. It's a hard situation. He says that this is tough, it's hopeless. Well, then you get into chapter 9 and I want you to see what he says. He says, that characterizes your former time, but your latter time, on the, earth, on the other hand, was going to be characterized by something completely different. Look at what he says in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So there's this contrast that we see between this bad, hard, hopeless situation to something completely different, filled with hope and joy and goodness. Now we, we know that light and darkness, there's a number of places where this is, um, happens in the Gospels, happens throughout Scripture, but I want to show you John. Hold your place in Isaiah 9. Let's go to John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. We're going to fly through this real fast. 
John in his prologue, he identifies the one who came in the flesh. So you, the reason I want to do this is because you might be sitting there this morning, I know not all of us, but you might be sitting there this morning going, I don't know about all this. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if this is true. I, I want to show you. Isaiah prophesies a light has come, a light has shone on them. John, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, look at what it says. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We know that verse 14 talks about, and him, he, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is talking about Jesus. Look over in chapter 3 real quick. Verse 16 through 21. You're familiar with this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're familiar with that. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is about Jesus. The prophecy of Isaiah 9 is being fulfilled. Keep reading. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Look at verse chapter 8. Matthew chapter, uh, sorry, John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I mean, if this isn't clear, I don't know what is. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Look over in chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus is talking again. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Flip over to John chapter 12, verse 35 through 36. So Jesus said to them, the light, meaning himself, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Skip on down to verse 46. Jesus again, I have come into the world as light. Why? So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So remember, what God was saying to these people in Isaiah's day is I can be trusted, believe in me. A light is coming to deliver you, to free you. And then we go to the gospels and we know that the light has come in Jesus. And he says to us this morning, believe this truth. Believe this gospel 
Some of us in this place are still walking in darkness. The light has come. His name is Jesus. He's come to set you free. Believe in this light. The second thing I want you to see is Christ coming brings joy in struggle. Brings joy in struggle. Three different times you're going to see this in Isaiah 9. Um, Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. It says you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. And then he gives this image of a joy at harvest. A, A farmer reaping a good, incredible crop that saves the lives of his family and sustains those who who are dependent upon those crops. So the struggle you can think about of a farmer, he's sowing seed, he's working in the soil, he's laboring, he's struggling all for hopefully some, some crop, something to grow, something that his family and those who are dependent upon it can sustain them. It says that they're glad when they divide the spoil. You see, Isaiah's illustrations here is a matter of life and death. The crop doesn't come, they have no food. The crop comes, they have food. So the farmer's crop was a matter of sustaining lives and people depended on it. And this is exactly what we understand about Jesus in the gospel. When Jesus comes, he does exactly this. He brings fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy in Christ, a joy that's not limited and based on our circumstances, but a joy that is everlasting, a joy that cannot be taken away. That's what Jesus does. Even in struggle, even in hard situations, there's joy in Christ. Thirdly, Christ's coming brings freedom from bondage. Look at verse 4 with me in Isaiah 9. You see the word a yoke, a staff for his shoulder, a rod of his oppressor. All of these were um, instruments that described a people that had been, uh, been forced into heavy labor, this heavy burden. You can think of bondage, bearing the weight of this burden. But God here says that I'm going to bring this child and I'm going to lift this burden off of you. This yoke that you're carrying, I'm going to lift it off of you and you're going to be free. Remember historically what we looked at. Think about these words being said to you in that situation. I have this yoke on me, this burden. I'm in this hopeless situation. Oh, but there's coming a child that I will do this. And he's going to lift it off of you. And you're going to be free. There's freedom from bondage. We know if you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 11, you know that Jesus, he says these very words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Freedom. Rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In Jesus, there is 
freedom from bondage. There's freedom. He's our light. He's our joy. He's our freedom. Let me point out another one from Isaiah 9. Christ's coming brings peace from hostility. Look at verse 5 of Isaiah 9. The images in verse 5 are about the celebration that took place when you take the the war-torn boots and the the blood-stained garments of the conquered enemy and they they would gather all of those and they would pile them in the middle of the camp and they would set them on fire. And in this moment, as they set those ablaze, it's this, it's this victory. They've conquered the enemy. It's a demonstration that peace had come. And this is what the Christmas story, the birth of this child that we await, that we long for, that the people in Isaiah 9 were, were waiting for. This is what it's all about, is peace. Luke 2, 14. Familiar verses. To the shepherds, the angel comes and says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Peace from hostility. You and I, when we're born, we're born into sin. We're born sinners. And because of our sinfulness and rebellion against God, we are enemies with God. We are opposed with God. This is what the scripture teaches. We're opposed. We're enemies of God. We are hostile toward God. Because of your rebellion, because of my rebellion against him, we're, we're opposed to him. But God in his loving kindness sends this child, sends his one and only son Jesus to come and take his, his father's wrath for your sin and for my sin upon his shoulders so that we can have peace with God. The death that you should have died for your sin, the death that I should have died for my sin was taken upon Jesus so that I could walk in peace with God, so that you could have peace with God. This is the gospel. Paul says this in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He later on says in the same chapter, Romans chapter 5 verses 9 through 10, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is what God is saying through his prophet Isaiah. I'm going to step in to this mess and I'm going to bring peace through the blood of my one and only son, Jesus. And because of his blood, you will be justified. You'll be set free. He goes on to write in Romans 5, verse 10, for, while, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I'm the one who should have paid the price for my sin. You're the one who should have paid the price for your sin, but Jesus steps in between me and between you, and he takes his Father's wrath upon himself, and he saves us from it. That's peace. That's peace. 
And that's what the gospel does. It brings peace. Finally, the last thing I want to show you in Isaiah 9. So he's our light. He's our joy. He's our peace. Christ's coming brings God into godlessness. His coming brings God into godlessness. Now here's what we're talking about here. We're about to jump into the names, which I know we're familiar with, but here's what this means. What we're really talking about right here is, the, is his deity. We're talking about his deity. And here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah to the people of that day and to us today. I personally am going to step into the chaos of your life, and I'm going to rescue you. We're talking about Jesus, born as a child, coming, and he's fully God, and he's fully human. This is his deity. Jesus is God. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born. Notice the language here. It doesn't say a child will be born. So the prophet is basically saying, I'm, I'm telling you, this is happening. Count on it. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Here he's given a name, but this name is unlike any other name that's been given. The thing about his name is that it's going to indicate something about him. And here's what it's going to indicate. These names that are given, here's what it's going to indicate. He's divine. He's God. There's something really unique about this child. He's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. Look at the names that Isaiah gives him here. We're going to fly through this, I promise, really fast. This child, God in the flesh, is wonderful counselor. The Hebrew word for wonderful there literally means indescribable. It's beyond understanding, too wonderful for words. So when Isaiah is describing this child that will be born, Jesus, he didn't have words to describe him. There are no words great enough to tell you how amazing and how awesome and wonderful he is. The word counselor there. The word counselor means a guide or advise. His counsel, his teaching, his, his wisdom, his instruction, it's wonderful. It's incomprehensible. Other writers through the Bible talk about this exact thing. Since we've been connecting the dots, listen to a few of these real quick. Psalm 147, verse 5, his understanding is beyond measure. Jeremiah, he prays in chapter 32, verse 19, he says this about him, great and mighty God whose name is the Lord of hosts, the one great in counsel and mighty in deed. Daniel, in chapter 2, he says this, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Paul, when he thinks about the wisdom of God, it moves him to praise. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of Christ? 
who has been his counselor or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Isaiah, later on in this book we've been looking, this chapter we've been looking at, later on Isaiah in chapter 28 through 29, he talks about this wisdom. He says, this comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful. There's that word again. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This child that will be born, God in the flesh, he's wonderful counselor. The second one, he's mighty God. Isaiah doesn't say that the child will be like the mighty God. He says that the child will be called mighty God. The New Testament gets this. John opens his gospel in verse 1 by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not like God, not just with God, not similar to God, but God in the flesh. Paul speaks of this in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.8, says this of, of Jesus. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. So Isaiah says that this child, God in the flesh, he's a wonderful counselor, but he is mighty God. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible with him. He goes on, another name, Everlasting Father. Now you might be sitting there going, doesn't this confuse Jesus the Son, God the Father? No, it doesn't do that. It's attributing the rule of God to him. In the Old Testament, kings, kings were called fathers. They were spiritual or political fathers to their people. And so when Isaiah says that his name will be called Everlasting Father, he means that he will be the ruler of his people and, they will, and he will be their eternal king. He will, his reign will know no end. This is emphasized in verse 7. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So this child will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, a king whose reign will never end. Finally, Jesus is the prince of peace. That is, he is going to be the one who brings peace for his people. There's a lot of Old Testament and New Testament passages about this. Micah chapter 5 verse 4 he says, he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord is God and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Again, the New Testament, Luke 2, 14. I'm sure you remember what the angel said about Jesus to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. Jesus himself says about peace to his disciples. You remember this the night before he was betrayed. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Because I'm here. I'm peace. Acts chapter 10, verse 36. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace 
Through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. Paul talks about this in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. Colossians chapter 1:20. God reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through his blood on the cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And that's why the author of Hebrews ends his book by writing this great benediction. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. He's our peace. He's our peace. So as we wrap up this morning... My prayer for us is, yes, that we would see Jesus clearly. As we go through this Advent series, we would see him clearly. But I also desire for us to live differently, for these truths to change us. And so I have just two real quick. You're like, when is this going to end? The first is this. Believe in Jesus. Believe in him. He's real. And he's come for you. He's come to rescue you. He's your life. He's your joy. He's your peace. He's your hope. He's, let me say this. He's your only hope. He is your only hope. Put your faith and trust in Jesus today. Believe in him. It'd be a shame to go through Christmas and all the beauty and all the sentiment and all the celebrations and all the decorations and not believe in the one who is your only hope, Jesus Christ. Believe in him today. If you've not done that, I'm going to be here at the end of this service. We have wonderful, wonderful people who are at Connection Central who would love to pray with you and talk to you about that. If you've never done that, let me say this to you very clearly. That's why you're here today. That's why you're here. Believe in him. Put your faith and trust in him. Secondly, last one, celebrate. Celebrate Jesus. This Christmas, celebrate the hope of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. Celebrate his coming and setting you free celebrate that you were once in darkness and now you're in light celebrate that you were hopeless but now you have joy celebrate that you were um, in bondage but now you're free celebrate jesus christ celebrate his birth his life his death and his glorious resurrection celebrate the hope of christmas our savior and lord jesus christ when we sing over the next few sundays sing like you've never sung before in celebration of the hope of Christmas, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this child. Your son, Jesus Christ, sent into the world for our salvation. Sent in this world to set us free to pay the price, the penalty for what we should have done, 
for our own sin. And so God, I pray that you would grant us faith in him and let us experience the awe and the wonder, the majesty of knowing, serving, and sharing this Jesus now and forevermore. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.